This recording has been produced by Christchurch Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. And you will not hear, even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. We also read Habakkuk chapter 2 verses 1 to 4. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. This is the word of the Lord. The gospel reading is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, you are in your holy temple and uh, we want to be silent before you. So let's just take a moment to prepare our hearts, hear God's word, come to his table. Father, we uh, acknowledge you as the one and only true God. And we pray that um, in response, you will uh, strengthen us and give us uh, clear vision. Lord, increase our faith and give us the grace to persevere and to be faithful, even in the most difficult of circumstances. We ask this for the sake of your Son and for the sake of our own souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So good. We're on the eve of Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is, of course, on Tuesday, begins on Tuesday afternoon very auspicious, very serious day in the Jewish calendar and a very significant day in the life of the state of modern Israel. If you haven't uh, been here before, you will uh, 
be perhaps amazed, uh, even in awe, of how everything closes, everything, uh, on the, at least in the Jewish sector, closes down for 25, 25 hours. So uh, the, liter- the lectionary this week um, almost anticipates it being Yom Kippur, um, not that the two are necessarily connected together, but I suppose by divine happenstance or, divi- or, or by divine appointment, we read, of course, uh, from the Book of Lamentations, and we also had a reading assigned to us this week from the book, the prophet of, uh, of uh, Habakkuk. And um, it's a very, certainly a very strange prophet. It's not perhaps a book that we're uh, very familiar with. And when it came to deciding what to preach, the gospel or other texts that we did not read, uh, it was just a few days ago on Friday, I was um, with a group of students and we were having a refresher course uh, on the history and archaeology. One of the most uh, interesting cities in this country, but if you're a tourist, you probably have never visited, and maybe even if you're a resident, you may not even know uh, this particular city, Lachish, Tel Lachish. One time, Lachish was, after Jerusalem, the most uh, important city in the kingdom of Judah. So we had a, an expert take us around, and uh, we discussed Joshua and David and Solomon. And he rightly said that uh, this history is quite murky, certainly not a lot of sources. Uh, archaeology is sometimes difficult to uh, to interpret or to determine from earlier periods. But when we get into the 8th century BC, things really start to, to go um, uh, snap, crackle, and pop. Things start to become uh, a lot clearer. And then he asks us the question, uh, in the midst of talking about the Assyrians and the Babylonians, he asks the students, now, which empire was worse? What was the cruelest um, empire. And of course, I think all of us said the Assyrians were used to uh, in, in giving sermons or guiding people around the country were used to talking about the Assyrian threat that existed throughout the 8th century BC. And he said, no, not at all. And he said the Babylonians were, uh, were certainly more vicious and uh, crueler by, by far. And it's then that I remembered, ah, we have a reading from Habakkuk, and Habakkuk is written in the context of, this, of the Babylonian, uh, you might say, uh, the Babylonian deportations. There was more than one deportation of people from this country, and of course the soon Babylonian destruction of the kingdom of Judah. And that uh, fear of uh, that dread, that terror that is starting to come upon the nation, uh, the fear of this uh, Babylonian war machine that 
is again it's very cruel, very very vicious. It's something uh, a uh, invasion that's going to bring uh, a horrible onslaught and much death. That's the context of this book. That's the context of uh, Habakkuk's Habakkuk's complaint uh, to God, and it's in that context that he comes to uh, a certain resolution. And that's what I'd like to talk about for a few minutes today. We don't really know a lot about the prophet, unfortunately. We don't know where he comes from. We don't know uh, anything of his, uh, his background. He may have been a Levite. He may have been a priest because chapter three of the book is liturgical. It's in the context of, of worship. But who is this guy? Now, we don't have to know a lot about him uh, because we certainly know a lot about when uh, he's writing. He's writing maybe somewhere around the year of 609, 605. Uh, he's writing at a time of great uh, confusion uh, in the life of the nation and great injustice. The great reformer king, Josiah, had recently been killed at Megiddo. Maybe you remember the story. King Josiah, who was one of the uh, good kings of Judah, a king that the Bible praised, went out to fight to stop Pharaoh Necho uh, from going north to fight, uh, to fight the Babylonians. Uh, and in the book of Chronicles, we have two accounts. In the second account, in the book of Chronicles, it says he didn't ask the Lord if he should do this. And as a result, uh, he, together with his army, they were decimated uh, at Megiddo, and Israel lost, uh, sorry, Judah lost a great king. His uh, son came to the throne. The Egyptians, who had a lot to say about what happened uh, in this country at that time, didn't like his son, and they appointed uh, another son, Joachim, and uh, Joachim is ruling and reigning while Habakkuk uh, is, is writing. And Habakkuk joins Jeremiah in condemning the regime and condemning the behavior of the people uh, at this particular time. For those of you, uh, because of the time allotted to us, I'm not going to read from uh, Jeremiah 22, but it's not very uh, flattering. Uh, and certainly the end result of Joachim is not going to be a very, uh, certainly not going to be a very happy end. And I'd just like to just look at the text for a minute because um, here comes the prophet and it's an unusual book because it's not directed so much outward. He's not giving, delivering a message to the people of Judah Basically, he's carrying on a dialogue with God, and it's a dialogue in which he's complaining, complaining. He's expressing his, you might say, his questions, maybe his doubts, maybe he's arguing with God, and I think maybe we should stop there for a moment because it was a long Jewish, biblical actually, and then later, uh, Jewish tradition, and it does exist uh, many places in Christianity, uh, where people who especially have a deep faith, a deep faith, and a deep love for God, 
question his ways, saying, what are you doing? Why are you doing to this? Why are, why are you punishing the righteous? Why are you being so tough on us? What, God, what is going on? Now, this is not necessarily disrespectful. It's not uh, necessarily uh, a lack of, perhaps, a lack of faith. Uh, instead, we need to understand that uh, perhaps it's an act of faith, That's, that people care enough, yes? They want to know uh, who God is, what his character is like, and why all this stuff is happening to me personally. Although in this particular book, notice it's not about uh, my cancer or my bankruptcy or my child's sickness, but it's about the life of a nation and thus the future of the people. I mean, they're about to, uh, you know, to be uh, invaded, uh, again, by a very cruel, cruel, vicious uh, empire that will kill uh, without conscience and deport many more uh, to, uh, to Babylon. Why is this happening, Jeremiah wants to know. Um, part of the reason, part of the, you might say, answer uh, is somewhat nuanced. And it's, it's not just nuance, it's also a very, there's a certain maturity in his answer because the problem isn't only the Babylonians. It's not just those outside people who are coming uh, to decimate uh, Judah. There's also a problem within. And that problem within is uh, in verse four, chapter one, where he says as follows, therefore, um, the law is paralyzed, the Torah is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked him and the righteous, so justice is perverted. Now in this case, he's undoubtedly, he's undoubtedly talking about uh, the situation within the kingdom. This is the, this is the internal um, state of affairs, and the internal state of affairs is not good. And in, and in some ways, the internal state of, of affairs reflects what's, go, what's going to happen. Because again, this very uh, brutal uh, kingdom that has no, there's no justice is going to soon sweep, uh, sweep Judah away. And within, by the way, within less than 100 years, the people of Babylon will be swept away by the kingdom of Persia. But still the Torah is being perverted. God's guidance, direction, his instruction, okay, is not being followed. And it's bringing misery and damage uh, to not only with, not only with their, the Judah's relationship to God, but also uh, internally. And you see in verse three, if you have a notice in verse three, it says, destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict. And this is probably, if you want to take one word in the first complaint and highlight it. What is he, what, what is he in pain about? It's about one word, violence. Violence. You know, this is, um, 
you know, his personal safety, the personal safety of the nation, you know, is, uh, is, is certainly in doubt. And of course, when, that, when our personal safety is in doubt, we live in a state of fear. We live in a state of dread. And the word violence here in Hebrew is extremely strong. Uh, it's the word Hamas. And Hamas is uh, a cruelty or an injustice that uh, is done uh, maybe for the sake of gain or for the, the, sake of, uh, the sake of hatred. So it's not some kind of ordinary violence. It's violence at its most extreme, uh, it's violence at its most extreme level. So this is his, you know, this is his complaint. Uh, and then the Lord answers him. <laughs> and the answer, by the way, that uh, Jeremiah receives is, this is pretty, pretty it's in, in a way pretty instructive. We have to ask the question, does God answer the question? Does God answer Jeremiah's questions? And this may be our case as well. We may have many questions. We should ask those questions. And when other people ask us those questions, they shouldn't be condemned because somehow they're showing a lack of faith or they're being skeptical or they somehow might undermine uh, the faith of the community, especially when they're asked in a sincere way, especially when they're asked because people want to know something more about the character of God. People want to have a vision, maybe even a renewed vision of who God is. And so we ask the questions, and questions are okay. Questions are okay. Let the questions be asked. It doesn't mean that we'll necessarily have an answer. And this is what's really hard for us in the West because we have to have an answer. We always have, especially in the age of Google, we have to know. We have this arrogance about us. We have to know. We have to be told. There has to be transparency. We have to know everything. We need to know everybody's business. Tweet it. <laughs> Tell me what you're doing this afternoon. Tell me... Uh, how the romantic night went with your wife. Confess your sins to us, especially if you're uh, some kind of a pop star, movie star. And by the way, although the rich and famous confess, confession should not necessarily be confused with forgiveness. Okay? Yeah, so we live in this age. We gotta, we must know. Okay? We must we may not know. And here's the challenge of uh, Habakkuk. We have to live with mystery. So God answers by saying, boy, it's going to get really rough. It's going to get bad. I want to, in chapter 1 is just how awful the Babylonians are. It's incredible poetry, especially in Hebrew. You can almost hear the sounds of their horses and the way the, and the, way the passage reads. You can hear the terror that's coming upon you. Yes? And so God is going to answer Jeremiah. Jerem sorry, not Jeremiah, Habakkuk. Habakkuk, uh, the way it's a strange name. Um, perhaps it's not even a Hebrew name. Habakkuk uh, says, um, 
I'm going to stand my watch and station myself on the ramparts. He's going to persevere. Right? He's not just going to ask the question in passing. He's going to keep, uh, he's going, to keep going. Uh, I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Okay? And the Lord replies. He says, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Okay? Make it really simple. Put it in a bumper statement, a bumper, bumper sticker. Put it in a mission statement. Don't make it too complicated. What? Something so simple to something so complicated? Are we in danger of oversimplification? We're in danger of being flippant or shallow? Uh, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. Which is, again, timing is, has a lot to do with the, this book. That's why the people at Qumran, they adored the book of Habakkuk and thought it revealed end-time prophecy, especially because of this verse. Okay, it speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and it will not <coughs> delay. So God answers. He said the answer is coming. The answer is on the way. And wait for it. And he says, then he gives some advice in the meantime. So this is good advice for living in mystery or for living in tension, for not why things don't work out. Why things don't work out personally, why things don't work out culturally, why things aren't going the way we planned and nationally, what's wrong with our country, what's wrong with this world today. He says, um, see, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright. <clears throat> Talking about those who are evil, maybe not those who are evil, but those people who are proud, those people who serve themselves, those people who look after themselves uh, as number one, who are first and foremost, those people who think of themselves, that can be all of us, as the center of the universe and that everything has to revolve around me and, and mine. And uh, then he says these words, they're very powerful, but yet the words themselves are not 100% clear. And thankfully, thankfully, they can be read in more than one way. And they could be understood in more than one way. And it's equally true. Okay? And the words, are, you know them very well. He says, but the righteous will live <laughs> by his faith. The righteous will live by his faith. Now, some texts say the righteous shall live by faith. Uh, the Greek Septuagint, the translators, understood that the word emunah in Hebrew is a word that's very rich and more often than not means faithfulness and not just faith. 
So they translated this to be the righteous shall live by his faithfulness or the righteous shall live by faithfulness. So it could be talking about faith, this idea of trust, or it could be talking about faithfulness, this idea of being consistent and persistent, even in the face of big trouble, even in the face of difficulty. So what is God (laughs) saying? Look, wait. And this is the hardest, hardest part. And maybe this is one of the things that we take away from this book. And by the way, everything I say this morning, none of this, uh, you know, there's nothing new or novel in this. As I say every, I like to say every week, I'm sure some of you are tired of it, I just get paid, um, I just get paid to remind folks of things, things that you kind of already know, but so often we're very forgetful about. Yes? It's hopefully the jokes are interesting somewhere in the way, but the truth is the same. The truth is the same from Habakkuk's day to Paul's day to, to our day. That truth hasn't changed. And maybe this is about understanding God's timing and letting God be God. And in the process, what is he asking us to do, even in the midst of terror? Even more than, you know, that personally we have cancer or personally I'm facing bankruptcy, Right? Be faith, have, let's start one. One, live by faith. Live by faith. Live in a relationship of trust. Trust me. And and it's it's when you trust me, God is saying, you will find life. Otherwise, what surrounds us? What's in every place? Then and now, violence, death, destruction, cynicism. A lack of faith, sin, which always brings hurt and damage and destruction and death. Does it not? Sin brings death. And here it's saying trust brings life. Or is it being faithful? Now, how do we know? Because listen to the Second Temple period. People understood this verse in two different ways. And so does the New Testament. The New Testament understands this verse to mean or to, or to advocate. In Galatians, Paul uses it to, to talk about faith over and above the law or against the doing things in the law. In the book of Romans, 1 chapter 17 is very controversial and people argue back and forth. But in Hebrews 10, 38 and following, It's about perseverance. It's about faithfulness. In the midst of all these things that you don't understand, Habakkuk, I want you to be trusting. I want you to have emunah. I want you to be faithful. It's very easy when we see violence, when we see the world going haywire, when we see all this confusion, it's very easy to say, I give up. Yes, I don't believe anymore, or I have a hard time believing. 
And further, it's even easier to say, as we talked about this last week, we talk about this frequently, because the human tendency is saying, look, the bad guys are winning. The bad guys are getting more than their fair share of the pie. What about me? Who's going to take care of me? I've got to join them. I've got to get in there. I've got to elbow my way into the system. And if the system is corrupt, well, then you need to be corrupt in order to benefit from the system. Yes. <clears throat> it's not paying your taxes or um, uh, cheating or whatever it may be. Not being faithful in one way or another. This is uh, the challenge. And God is saying, again, wait, wait, wait. Yes. Be trusting, be faithful. Now God goes on to tell Habakkuk in chapter 2, he says, um, he talks about uh, uh, the... uh, Judgment that's going to come upon those who are evil. Unfortunately, God's timing isn't always our timing. And sometimes he, delay, he oftentimes delays judgment as a way of giving people uh, the opportunity to repent. But eventually, he, he points out in chapter 2 that judgment will come upon Babylon. And by God's clock... What's a hundred years? By our clock, it's a long time. And of course, Habakkuk and others didn't get to see God's judgment. But all we have to do is look back in history. And God has a very, very ironic way of bringing justice, especially to those who are evil. It's, it's, a, it's a very revealing, something very telling. Evil always eats itself. The revolution always destroys itself. Just as the best example is uh, oftentimes an empire or even an ideology. The ideology of communism. The ideology of consumerism. The ideology of uh, the sexual revolution. Whatever it is. Or a country or an empire. Example, Nazi Germany, Soviet Union, Rome itself. It always gets drunk on its own success. It always gets drunk on its own success. And in its arrogance, it ends up destroying itself. And all the false ideologies which arraign themselves against us today, and all the false empires, and all the nation states, yes, and all the dictators and people who think really highly of themselves, will eventually, yeah, in their lifetime or soon after their lifetime, right, end up being judged in one way or the other. Now, again, it's, I'll come to this in a second. There's another thing in verse 2 that Habakkuk comes to... uh, he comes to, uh, he hears the Lord says, and the Lord's saying this. And uh, it's a verse that would love, be loved by the Puritans. 
And you might say the Puritans and their followers use this uh, as an understanding of how uh, the gospel would spread all over the world and how there would be more and more people coming under the influence of Jesus. And uh, this is in verse 14 of chapter 2. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in the midst of this judgment on Babylon, God eventually, God tells Habakkuk, again, your calendar is not my calendar and your timing is not my timing and I in the end will be victorious. Babylon will go away and the knowledge of the Lord will spread throughout the earth. And there's this, ends, the chapter ends um, talking about the worthlessness of idols. And in the end it says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. The Lord is still in control. Now again, it's hard. It's not easy. Let's don't be uh, simplistic and say, oh, I'll just have faith. I'll just be a Pollyanna. Woo, God's in control. You know, I got cancer. You know, my, my kid is in prison. You know, the president of my country is out of control and sending nuclear missiles on some other. Whoopee, God is in control. My dear friends, it's not like that. Yeah. First of all, Habakkuk is in a state of distress about what's going to happen to his people. He's in, a, he's, he's in a state of fear. Secondly, secondly, yes, because we have faith or because we're faithful doesn't mean we're passive. Doesn't mean we kind of fold our arms and we go like this and we say like millions of Christians do, sadly, the world is going to get worse. It's going to get worse. After all, we've heard that prophecy says the days are going to become evil and more evil and more evil. And there's nothing we can do about it. We'll just circle the wagons, to use an American John Wayne metaphor. You have to forgive me for my, my origins. Um, we'll circle the wagons. We'll hold off, you know, the hostile enemy. And hopefully... By the time Jesus comes again, we'll be, my family will be saved. My children hopefully will, you know, be believers. Uh, and that's the best we can hope for. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. What does it say? It says, God says, be faithful. But he also says the knowledge of God's glory is going to expand and keep on expanding. It doesn't mean everybody's going to become a Christian, but it means that the, the, the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of the kingdom, <coughs> is on the loose. And it's shaking and wiggling and rattling and rolling and it's expanding by the power of the Holy Spirit. And yes, there are many defeats but there are also many victories. So we just don't say, oh, there's nothing I can do. Remaining faithful means we pray, we witness, we evangelize, 
we stand up against oppression or injustice in our society. We pray that God will uh, enable us to to, uh, do such things. We care for the homeless. We take in orphans. We give blood. Okay. (laughs) We do this hopefully under God's direction. We don't run around like chickens with our head, without heads. But it doesn't mean sitting still and doing nothing. That's the easy way. Okay, asking questions and being faithful, hopefully, encourages us. Yes, to be doing those things that Jesus asked us to do. And there are many parables. Uh, that we read at this time of the year in which Jesus commends us, not commends us, commands us to be faithful and to occupy until he comes and to leave the timetable and ultimately the results to him. Now, how does uh, this book end? It ends, I can never read the, the end of this book without thinking of that happy, snappy, charismatic chorus though the fig tree does not blossom. (laughs) Do you know that, Becky? Oh, man, you missed that one. And there'll be no fruit on the vine. Thus, well, it ends with worship. It ends with worship, which I think is is quite amazing because to, to focus on the only true God and to remain faithful to him. One of those expressions, or one of the places where that happens, is when we uh, give utter devotion to him. And so he, um, uh, again, uh, the Babylonians are coming. Um, The Babylonians are coming. Uh, He's in a fear of trepidation. I heard my... This is, I'm reading from chapter 316. I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I waited patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. I mean, we can kind of read this and it's not, doesn't touch us. It happened way back then. Try for a moment, put yourself yeah, and the shoes of someone living in Judah in the year 600 BC. Yes. Though the fig tree does not blossom or bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on to the heights. This is how Habakkuk ends his argument with God. Again, I don't know that God has answered the questions, and I'm not sure he's probably stopped asking them. But in the meantime, it's by asking those questions, and again, that he has this renewed vision of God. There's a new confidence and a new trust 
that I don't, he's, he says what hopefully all of us can say, I don't understand this, but in the process, I'm going to remain faithful. And all of this calamity, all of this maybe even day-to-day boredom of, you know, of life, doesn't always have to be a calamity or a disaster or a bankruptcy. It can be just getting up every morning and taking the kids to school. Okay? Uh, we live in a society in which everybody is bored. Yes? Even in my you know, most routine boredom, I'm going to be faithful. And as, as a uh, evidence or you might say a manifestation of this faithfulness, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord no matter what my circumstances. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you will strengthen us as we prayed before. We indeed need that gift of faith and we need the grace to be faithful uh, at all times and all situations. We pray that um, you will be patient with us. You'll be patient with our questions. You'll be uh, patient when we doubt. But Lord, we also pray that in the process, you will make us stronger uh, and that you will give us joy and enable us, Lord, to worship you, um, to rejoice in you, no matter what our circumstances may be. Lord, bring us to that place of maturity. Give us that gift of grace. We ask this for your sake, the sake of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.